Will you take your Bibles and turn with us to the book of Philippians? The book of Philippians. It is in the daily Bible reading, so we have been focusing on that because we would like everybody to get on board with the daily Bible reading. Doesn't mean you have to read all four sections, an Old Testament passage, a New Testament passage, or Proverbs or a Psalm. You don't have to do that. But uh, you could choose maybe the New Testament passage or an Old Testament passage. And, and um, we'd, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get everybody to understand that our personal opinions don't matter. I can get in a pulpit and I can come up with a great sermon outline and I can share it with you and I can give you all my personal philosophy and all of that. It does not matter at all. The older I get, the more important it is for me to see that we ought to use God's Word as an outline for our sermons. And I almost apologize to the Lord on a, on a weekly basis for not doing that years and years ago, thinking that perhaps my own thoughts or commentary was more important. What a, what a uh, mistake that is. Well, I'll tell you what, there's something I have learned over the last year, and I don't mind telling you this, that we are a healthy church. I have learned that. We have never lost our focus in this year of distraction. We have never lost our mission. We have never dropped a missionary. We have never stopped our children's mission, missionary, our children's mission work and, and uh, ministry to them, our youth. We haven't done, we've had to modify certain things. And it was painful for us to have to do that. But we want you to know that I want you to know that I have been I have been amazed at how the Lord has made it clear to me that we are a healthy church. So here's the Bible reading in the book of Philippians, and I have picked out um, eight characteristics of a healthy church. Now listen, it's not going to take long. It's not going to take. The first one will probably take longer than all the others. But eight characteristics of a healthy church. As you read through the book of Philippians, you're going to be watching for characteristics in Paul's instruction to the church at Philippi on what he wants them to do because it's God's will that they learn a lesson or they develop a truth or whatever. Or you're going to be looking and you're going to be looking for references to the church at Philippi itself because Paul does describe some of the things that they are doing. And so as you do that, and I got to tell you, it was a problem for me because I had to come up with some criteria for choosing just eight characteristics of a healthy church, since there's so many of them, and I don't, want, I don't want us to choose eight and then find out that a couple of other characteristics would have been more valuable. So what I've done is I've looked at every little section there is in, in Philippians, and I've tried to choose something from each section for the most part, and then we will use the key verses of each section in order to uh, make our point, all right? So in chapters 1, I want you to notice how Apostle Paul begins. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. So Paul is addressing a church. He's not addressing a brand new group of people who are getting together and want to organize a church. And they're not very far yet. He's not addressing just a group of people who've got together uh, by the riverside and are just uh, meeting for a Bible study. He is talking to a church that is, that is developed so that you have 
congregants and you have leaders in that church. In the very first section where Paul says, I thank my God, verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making requests for you with joy for your, number one, your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Number two, he's confident that the very thing that God has begun in them, he's going to complete till the day of Jesus Christ. And he's excited. He, you, can, you can't read this and not realize that the Apostle Paul is very excited. He's very excited because here is a church that's growing. It's a growing church. And as we read through the book of Philippians, this is the one thing that you can pick up from time to time, other references to this growing church. For instance, in chapter 1, verse 9, doesn't this imply a growing process? And this I pray that your love, and it's, let's say it together, may abound still more and more. Doesn't that imply a growing process? So he wants their love to continue to grow. In verse 25, he does the same thing with faith. Look at verse 25 in chapter 1. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. What does he say? For your progress and joy of faith. Then in verse 26, he says that he, he, he talks again about the growing process. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant more abundant. It's abundant now, but we want your joy to be more abundant in Jesus Christ. And then he talks about, uh, and we could go through the whole book, but I, let me give you one other one in chapter 2, verse 15. He says, listen, in verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become what? Blameless and harmless children of God that you may become blameless and harmless. So a healthy church is a church that is always growing. And I've noticed that we have a hunger and thirst to continue to grow. Imagine two people. Imagine two people who are friends or a couple who are married. And there's a problem in the relationship or a problem that they face. And they come to the conclusion that change has to occur. There has to be some change. We have to do something different than what we're doing now. Can you imagine one of those friends saying, listen, I'm not changing anything. You knew what I was like when we became friends, and I'm not, I'm not going to look at it as if I need to do anything. Can you imagine that? We need to all look at the growing process. The Apostle Paul says to them, listen, God's going to do what He's going to do. He's moving you in the right direction. He's moving you to the day of judgment where you will be complete in Christ." And then he says in chapter 2, he says, so work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Work it out. Practically work it out. Do the growing that you need to grow. And so, um, and so a growing church is a healthy church. I like this statement. If you think you're uh, green, if you think that you're green, let's put it that way. If you think that you're green, you will grow. If you think that you're ripe, you'll rot. <laughs> okay. If you take nothing else home, that's a great statement. Number two, a healthy church is a praying church. Let's look at section one, verses 12 through 26, and 
And all I'm going to do is pick out the key verses here. Verse 12 and verse 19. In this section, Paul is talking about his personal circumstances. And in his personal circumstances, he says in verse 12, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul is amazed. Bad things are happening to Paul, but good things God is bringing out of them. And he tells us what some of those things are. But in verse 19, he says, listen, I'm in trouble. I'm in jail. I'm in prison. But look what he says in verse 19. But I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your what? Prayer. And it does. He adds, and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. But listen, a healthy church is a praying church. All right, third one. Chapter 1, verses 27 through chapter 2, verse 11. We're just going to pick out the key verses. So we're going to look at verse 27 of that section. And then in chapter 2, we'll look at verses 2, 3, and 4. So Paul says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs. I want good reports. I want to hear good things about you. And in order for me to hear good things about you, I need to hear that you stand fast in what? One spirit. Everybody together. You stand fast in one spirit with what? One mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, what I really like about this, and I was tempted to add this as one of the uh, characteristics, but I didn't want to make the list too long, that these are not fair-weather Christians. These are Christians that when they're going through a storm, they're still going to be faithful to the Lord. When they're going through a storm, they're still going to honor the Lord. When they're going through a storm, they're still going to obey the Lord. When they're going through a storm, they're still going to serve the Lord. The Apostle Paul made that clear that they're going to be striving and suffering for Christ, and they need to be unified in the process. In chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Fulfill my joy by being what? Like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. And in order for a healthy church to do this, we have to make sure that 3 and 4, in our humility, in our willingness to say, listen, I'm not always right, sometimes I'm wrong, or sometimes I'm right, and most of the time I'm wrong, whatever it is. Uh, I often come to that conclusion the older I get. <clears throat> but anyway, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And this concept is so important for a church that's unified, because a healthy church is a unified church. It's where everybody is working together. Everybody sees a common goal. And we are uh, looking at that goal in order to make sure that we are honoring each other, and we are united because we are what? Because we are humble. Not because of our pride, because of our humility. 
And the illustration that he gives, and I don't need to do anything but give you verse 5 because it'll probably come to your mind. This is one of the most famous passages in all the, all the Bible because it talks about the coming of Christ where Christ took on the form of man and he humbled himself. And in verse 5, Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that even though Jesus is God, he humbled himself as a man. So a growing church, a praying church, and a unified church are healthy churches. But you say, but churches have conflict. Of course they do. That doesn't tell you whether, just because a church has conflict doesn't tell you whether or not that's a healthy church or not, any more than conflict in a relationship tells you that's a healthy relationship or not. It's not conflict that causes the problem. The Apostle Paul acknowledges conflict in this particular situation over in chapter 4, verse 2. What does he do in verses 2 and 3? He says, I implore Yodia and I implore Synthache to be of the same mind in the Lord. They're having a conflict. And I want all of you to rally around them and help them together so that they can be fellow workers and resolve the problem. You see, it's not so much conflict that's the problem as it is the ability to address the conflict and solve the problem. Paul is solving the problem. The Philippian church is solving the problem. We've had a year when we have uh, just had a distraction like you wouldn't believe, as you all know. And it has created a lot of conflict all over the place, in our communities, in our states, in our nation, around the world, and it has also created conflict in the church as well. But listen, that doesn't mean that a church can't be a healthy church if it has the ability to solve the conflict. That's the issue. And so the Apostle Paul doesn't mince words. Even though he praises the church at Philippi, even though he encourages them to continue to do what they're doing and to grow, he is acknowledging the fact that there is conflict to deal with. Can a church deal with that in a unified manner? I came here 40-some years ago, as you know, and uh, i tell you what, I, and I don't mind telling you this as a congregation, it has been one of the best experiences of my life. I have been amazed at the ability that we have had to be unified as a church through three building projects. And I say that to you because most people will tell you that's where it usually falls flat when you're dealing with practical matters like that. I'm just telling you, we have the ability to solve problems, and I'm grateful to the Lord, and I pray that will never change. And a unified church is a healthy church, and we have proven our unity over this past year. Number four, a church is not only a healthy church is not only a growing church, a praying church, a unified church, but it is a light-bearing church as well. Chapter 2, verses 12 through 18, we're going to look at key words, key verses, only verses 14, 15, 16, um, and 16, I believe it is. Do all things without complaining and disputing because it does happen. But we're to grow and work towards solving those complaints and disputes. That you may become blameless and harmless. You're not there yet. 
but you're moving in the right direction, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault. What does it say? In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. The healthy church is a light-bearing church. The healthy church, as I said several weeks ago, six or seven weeks ago, is a lighthouse. You remember the story, I won't tell you the whole story, but just get it back into your minds that the captain and the, and the lighthouse uh, third, third class seaman Smith, the captain of this battleship, are kind of battling it out because the captain sees this light and is demanding that the light move in a different direction. And, the, and, 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 and Captain Smith and, and, and Seaman Third Class Smith demands that the battleship move. And then we find out at the end of the story that the, that the captain is a battleship headed for the coast and the rocks, and Captain Smith and, and Smith, Third Class Seaman, is the lighthouse operator. Now, I only bring that back to your attention because bearing light in this society is not an easy thing to do. It's hard. It'd be nice if if the world were Christian or the country were Christian. But the Bible, I think this is pretty clear, that we're living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And it's hard to hold fast, verse 16, it's hard to hold fast the word of life in a crooked and perverse generation. Number one, because of the insults that you get or the assaults that you get. And number two, because of the temptation you have to water it all down. And so a healthy church is a light-bearing church. Number five, chapter 2, verses 25 through 30 is, um, is the next section. Chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. And a healthy church is a loving church. So it's a growing church, a praying church, a unified church, a light-bearing church, and it's a growing church. And I want you to hear these four verses. I don't know that we need any more commentary but this. I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. So what church does Epaphroditus belong to? The church at Philippi. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick, almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Um, So here's Epaphroditus working for both the Philippians and the Apostle Paul. And I think that the Philippian church, we have a wonderful illustration through the testimony of the Apostle Paul 
that they were a loving church. And loving churches are healthy churches. So a, a, a healthy church is a growing church, number one, praying church, number two, a unified church, number three, a light-bearing church, number four, a loving church, number five, and a vigilant church, number six. Let's go to chapter three, verse one. We'll look at the key verses. It's a long section, but I just want to look at a couple of key verses here in this section that's very important. In chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. And then he discusses some very important issues that insulate the church from severe damage from dogs. And he's not talking about wild dogs or dogs in the community. He's not talking about your pet. He's talking about those who come into the church and disrupt the church with an attempt to destroy the church. And so in verse 18, he says this, For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And he's identifying those who will destroy the church. People who destroy the church are the enemies of the cross of Christ. They want nothing to do with the cross. They want nothing to do with the blood of Christ. They want nothing to do with the fact that we're saved not by our works, but we're saved by our faith. And I've said this, and because the social gospel is so big and encompasses so much, and is such a focus for so many organizations around the world, because that is true. It is important for us, I thought it was important for us to see this, that a healthy church is one that does not give place, does not give room, does not give a foothold for the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now listen, I want you to go back and look at the testimony of the Apostle Paul that leads up to this. And the reason why I want you to look at the testimony of the Apostle Paul that leads up to this is because how can you not understand where Paul is coming from after he says what he says about his personal life? The Apostle Paul, according to Philippians, grew up in a good family. A lot of us can't, all of us can't say that. He did not grow up on the wrong side of the tracks. He grew up in a family that was religious. He had a good education. He went to the University of Jerusalem. He had a family that obeyed the Ten Commandments. He was a guy who was zealous for everything that God, he thought, wanted him to do. And so he had a list of credentials a mile long. And he could stop anybody on the street and say, listen, don't worry about me. I'm really a good guy. I've got every credential in the book. I not only was born from the right tribe of Israel, but I'll tell you what, I have followed and obeyed the Ten Commandments to the letter. There's nothing you can say about me that would put me in a bad light. I even was willing to kill Christians. And he'd have thought, he thought that was okay at some point because I knew they weren't doing the right thing. 
But notice what he says in chapter... Now, all of that is, is a paraphrase of what he is, uh, is uh, saying here in verses 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and following of chapter 3. He says in verse 4, Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. And then he lists the things that I have just shared with you that I have paraphrased for you. But then in verse 7, there's a word that shows up, but the first word of the, first word of the verse that changes the whole picture. After he talks about all of his credentials and his nice life and the fact that he didn't grow up on the wrong side of the tracks and all of that, he says, but. And that changes it all. You know that the word but, is that word is in the English language to give you a contrast. I've said this. Now if I put the word but in front of it, I'm going to contrast it with something else. And so notice what the Apostle Paul says in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Forget about all that stuff. It doesn't mean anything. All those credentials, all that good stuff, all the stuff I was counting on, it doesn't mean anything. I've counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them but dung or rubbish or garbage that I may what? What does he say? Gain Christ. Just gain him as a friend? Just gain him as a great teacher? Is that all he was concerned about? Oh, no. And be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith and I may know the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, I'll tell you what, knowing Christ has made a total difference in my life. Listen, what he is in essence saying there is I stand before God, the creator of the world, and I stand there, and when I think of all of my accomplishments and all of my good works and my life of, uh, and everything that's happened to me, I'll tell you what, because of Christ... I now see that it all melts away and doesn't mean anything because I stand there not with my own righteousness, but I stand there because God was willing to impute to me the righteousness of Christ through his life and his death. He gave me the gift of righteousness so that he looks at me as if I had never sinned and the death of Christ takes away the penalty. So you see why Paul is very passionate about this where he's adamant about this, where he says, listen, listen, I'm saved because of what Christ has done, not what I've done. I responded to what he has done. So you can see why he says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, don't give place to those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Not enemies of the fact he's a good teacher. Everybody believes that. Everybody knows that. Not the fact that he had some great moral values. Everybody believes that. It's easy for anybody to see that. History has proven that time and time. Not because he wasn't a great teacher. He's known as the greatest teacher that ever lived. But because of the cross of Christ. A healthy church does not give place to the enemies of the cross of Christ. Christ. 
And one of the reasons why we don't do that with the Apostle Paul is because we keep our eyes on the goal. We're looking for the next biggest event to happen in world history. And that's going to change everything. And that's the second coming of Christ. So resurrection day, second coming of Christ. Our bodies transformed if we're living at the time, second coming of Christ. A new world, second coming of Christ. It's all going to happen when Christ returns to this earth. God, like I've always said, God has never abandoned plan A for plan B. Plan A was I created this world. I created it good. And you messed it up, but I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to recreate it back to the way it was. All right. Finally, then, we have two very other quick ones here. Number seven, I believe it is, where a growing church is a healthy church, a praying church is a healthy church, a unified church is a healthy church, a light-bearing church is a healthy church, a loving church is a healthy church, a vigilant church is a healthy church, and a joyful church is a healthy church. I love the joy that we have. And sometimes we don't have any room to smile. We have very little, very little to be joyful about. But I love the joy. I love the joy. And I just want to remind you that when you go through the book of Philippians, it's the overarching theme of the Apostle Paul to talk about problems and difficulties and challenges and suffering. And then talk about joy. I could look at many, many, many. The word joy and gladness and rejoicing is in here so frequently that I don't think you, if you scan it, you can't get away from it. It's going to hit you almost in every paragraph or two. But I chose chapter 4. I chose chapter 4, that section that talks about Yodia and Synthache and the fact that they need to solve a problem of conflict there. And I went to verse 4 where the Bible says, where Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. Paul had already said, I want your joy to increase. I want you to grow so that you are more joyful tomorrow and the next week and the next week than you are today. A healthy church is a joyful church. Why? Well, read the rest of the chapter there. Read the rest of that section. One of the reasons why a healthy church is a joyful church is because they're a church at peace. It's in this we have that famous section, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your thanksgiving be known to God. And when you pray, the peace of God that passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Not only do you have the peace of God, but you have peace with God. And the other reason why they are joyful is because they choose to focus on the negative all the time. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, etc., 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 think on these things, meditate on these things. And then finally, a healthy church among just eight characteristics. We could have had many more. Just, just want you to know you'll find them as you go through. A healthy church is a generous church. I thought maybe our generosity would subside. 
when we were going through the struggles that we, we have gone through. I thought maybe it would subside and we would really have to, and we did. We've, curta- we've, we've tried to be very frugal and we've tried to adjust what we're doing. But you have proven that you are just as generous in a, in a difficult time as you are in a good time. You have proven that to be true. Here's the illustration. Verse 10, key verses, I'm just going to use verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. You didn't have, always have the resources to do it, but that didn't stop you. That didn't stop you from caring. didn't stop you from being generous. Verse 14, nevertheless, you have done well that you share in my distress, shared in my distress. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all in abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. A sweet-smelling aroma. I worried about our missionaries more than anything else. They were going through trying times worse than we and I worried, and you know, we have a couple of missionaries that don't get supported by just a, couple, just a couple of us churches, and it's kind of tough. And they were a constant concern, and you know what? The Lord faithfully provided because of your generosity, because of your generosity. And uh, there's been no lack there uh, based on the support that we have given them. And I'll tell you what, that's just wonderful. Well, what can I say with all of this? Well, the Apostle Paul, you know they're generous because they believe verse 19 of chapter 4. And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory. So a healthy church doesn't worry about it because God's going to supply all of our needs. And He's proven that He does that. And in verse 20, He says, Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever Amen. There's a greeting at the end, but those are the eight that I picked out for today. But you, when you go through this, you're already into Philippians. You still have the rest of the book to read, if that's what you've chosen for your day-to-day Bible reading. But you, I would, what I would do is I would circle the word rejoice and the word joy and the word gladness. I'd circle all of those, and I would see how that all fits in. God wants us to be glad and joyful and rejoice, and He wants us to continually see reasons to be more joyful and full of gladness and able to rejoice even more. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we ask in your precious name that you would remind us that you have humbled us. And in our humility, we trust you. We don't trust ourselves. Father, we thank you that we can look at these characteristics and we see how they are becoming a reality for us because we're continuing to grow. But Lord, thank you that this is all your work in us because of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.